Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. One. Fragments of silicon, everyone's favorite semiconductor, even if they don't know it. Welcome to another installment of Fragments of Silicon. Um, I'm your host, Adam, and joining me as always are uh, Galix. Hello. Eddie Fan. Yo. Ogre. I'm here. And Twilight. Oi. Hey. Did you kill Naka there for a second? I just jumped up <laughs> my head. Apparently he turned to Australian. <laughs> anyway, um, let's get to the news. Uh, let's see where to start, where to start. Ogre, why don't you um, begin the proceedings? Well, let me see. I don't know, not much happened this past week or so. But they had a uh, blood donation, which is finally going better because apparently the problem with that was my iron was always low so we've rectified that by eating big old steaks beforehand and that seems to jump up the iron pretty well <laughs> do the vampires treat you well uh there's no vampires there really i could tell there were no stone masks about <laughs> uh, they hide them in the back room oh though i had another fun moment because my left arm didn't want to work properly so they had to go through the right for I think the first time since I've been doing this mm. uh, recordings are going fine Naka switched over to a new graphics card which should hopefully increase the quality graphics on card the videos capture card. card there we go yeah I mm. He might need a new graphics card or a new processor or something because I saw a tweet by him the other day saying that he's trying yeah, the, to do videos in the, 1080p, but it's yeah, taking, it's like taking four times way time. too longer than it needs to be for some reason. Um, because it's in hmm. 1080p. Yeah. But, it uh, might be time for him to buckle up and get a new computer. I mean, that's like more than a thousand Ps. This current one's still doing pretty good. It's just that he well, might I mean, need to up on some stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he just flat out might need to get a new, like, CPU or something like that, or more mm-hmm. RAM. That, yeah, that might be it, but that's kind of up to him as far as I'm yeah. Well, I, I know he's going to need to upgrade something because yeah. that's how you get that rendering time down. 
more yeah. power. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, I finally beat most of the raid stuff in Final Fantasy XIV last week, too. Oh, and then we get the fun stuff to take you through Savage. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm prime on my way to start doing Savage stuff, so... Hopefully I'll do good up until something bad happens and I'll start screaming. I get a Skype call, what did you make me do? Uh, let me see, anything else? Uh, we're looking forward to that new Aliens movie soon, which I'm surprised is soon, because holy shit, it's May. <laughs> <laughs> I still feel like we should be back in March, but no, it's May. I agree, actually. <laughs> but, uh, which is the 19th, which coincides close to my dad's birthday, so yay! <laughs> we're gonna do that for his birthday. <laughs> Uh, let me see. Other than that, it's just a slow, slow trudging through the rest of this month of storm blood. <laughs> which is going to creep up faster than I thought, considering aliens creeped up faster than I thought. <laughs> which you don't so, want them to do that. They're aliens. They creep up on you. I was about to say both literally and metaphorically. <laughs> yeah. Considering this one seems to be very attached to coming out of your back. Anyway, that's it for me, so let's do, uh, what? Was it me? Yeah, that's you. You cut out there for a second. Well, anyway, um, Monday we had our bathroom remodeled. Oh, man. Everything. Had the floor stripped out and everything. Eh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't too bad of an experience. Had to go one night without a shower. Eh. But it's done now, thankfully. Um, as long as I've been, been playing games, and that's about it. Next. <laughs> um, I guess I'll go. Uh, Sunday was my 25th birthday, so woo. I'm still yeah, a snot-nosed. I was gonna say I'm still a snot-nosed kid. Hmm. Um, One day the way of the world will crush your dreams. Oh, it already. It already has. <laughs> um, I've been busy getting the house kind of sort of cleaned up for when I have my knee surgery, so that's going to be fun. Have you gotten that set up? or? Um, no, I see the doctor the 22nd. <sighs> yeah. Fun times. Scheduling is not fun. That's why I said fun times, ironically. Yeah. yeah. And I still don't know how long I could be missing from that. Like, I could only miss like a week. I could be out for over a month. I have zero idea. Well, so I guess... We'll, we'll address the topic, um, you know, after you're, you... You know when you're going under the knife. Yeah. And, you know, we will... Prepare for um, such an inevitability because for those who don't know how the setup works, Pettyfan is our current stream operator. Um, he's the one who does the actual, um, you know, connection between Skype and um, uh, Twitch and all and YouTube for the other show. Yeah, and I also do um, like 
the video and stuff that I play and the games I play on air, so... Right. Also, you know, coordinate the music. Um, you do, um, you do the Chirons that we have on the um, video. Mm-hmm. You do... He basically does all the background work, you know, which is helpful <laughs> for, you know, both Mac and I because, uh, you know, we don't have to fiddle about with the technical details while actually hosting the show. Mm-hmm. So, I've made myself so, useful. <laughs> yes. Yes. So while that's happen, while he's out, we will have um, I you know ogre and or twilight um, handling th- handling that aspect of the production until Petty Fang comes back. I'd offer to help, but I think we decided that my computer probably couldn't handle it. And, you know, it's like, I would do it myself, but, like I said, I can focus a lot more on the, you know, front-end stuff here, like the interview and, you know, guiding the show without having to worry about the technical details as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, we'll, yeah. so we'll cross that minefield when we come to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an impending change this show has seen host before, mm-hmm. you know. Hopefully not as long as the ogre change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Could you imagine if I just came back the other day from that? <laughs> I That's think... what I told Naka the other day. It's like, could you imagine if it was just now that I came back and we were doing this? Yeah. Um, other than that, I've been... I got some money for my birthday, so I'm going to see about possibly going to GameStop sometime this weekend and getting some stuff. Like, I want to get near Automata for my PS4. And, um, maybe Puyo Puyo Tetris. Um, outside of that, I don't think a whole lot's going on on my end. Like, did you ever get your bed fixed? Nope. Part of that is because my dad had to have hemorrhoid surgery, so he burned all of his PTO time recovery for that, so it's going to have to wait a few months. And even if I did, I wouldn't be able to use it after surgery because I have a loft bed. Uh-huh. So, kneeing, you know, kneeing in a mobilizer makes it difficult to go up ladders. Uh, you just got to develop 180 degree joint mobility. <laughs> yeah, sure, we'll go with that. Alright. Uh, duly uh, who's next? I think Golux is the um, only one left. If I'm counting correctly, it's me. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, work's been a bit of a pain in the butt the last few days because uh, the main part of my job lately is uh, scanning documents for archival purposes, and uh, my scanner has been, you know, malfunctioning as they do. <laughs> um, but hopefully we're getting that dealt with. Um soon we have our most of our tech stuff outsourced so it's a little bit less immediate there's no one i can actually just go and bug in person about it um uh video game wise i've finally gotten a couple of switch games i got kamiko and puyo puyo tetris and then i got mario kart 8 and Mm. i think there's another thing uh I want to get more things, but um, I don't have all the money in the world, so I can't. 
Um, but I've been playing that. It's a uh, pretty fun. Um, I find it's a little bit less comfortable in just straight up handheld mode than I would like. Uh, the thing is a little bit slim. I think they were just talk about add-on battery packs for the Joy-Cons that would give them a little bit more thickness, which might help. How do the Joy-Cons charge, anyway? Uh, the Joy-Cons charge from the console. Ah. Which charges from the stand. It's the weirdest system, I'll say. Mm-hmm. You see, I didn't know if they was, like, the, um, Wiimote, where you just threw AA batteries in them. No, they're they're actually, I think, thinner than a AA battery, which is part of the problem. <laughs> they're, mm. yeah, it works much better if you use the uh, Joy-Con grip to make it like an actual controller. Although I have found I agree with the thing I read that said that the, uh, because they're straight up and down, the uh, D buttons on the left side and the stick on the right side are a little bit awkward to get at sometimes. Um, other than that, um, I'm still playing Breath of the Wild on the Wii U, because that's where I got that, and I'm getting fairly close to the end. I'm looking forward to the uh, DLC that they just announced for that. Uh, You're going to be wearing Majora's Mask. What the hell is wrong? <laughs> I'm I'm curious as to what perk Majora's Mask is going to give you, but I'm just looking forward to the, uh, the item that lets you set any one location as a... Uh, Fast travel points. points. And the mask that uh, jingles when you're near a Korok seed. Because, uh... Those Lord knows if everyone needs those. Yeah, those are both things that will be endlessly useful. Um, although I might get more use out of them on the uh, Switch version when I get that, which I plan to eventually, but we'll see. Um, and I, the weather was finally nice today after being, like, drizzly for, like, a week straight. Um, other than that, I don't think I have that much, uh, to say right now, so I'll pass the ball to Adam. All right, um, let's see how to handle this. Um, yesterday I had to do some personal stuff that I'm not going to mention on air. Um... And I'll leave it at that. It's a thing that's going to take a while. Uh, I might talk about it when it's all done. But until then, it's something I prefer to keep private. I've made everyone on staff aware um, about it earlier. I, I talked to Mac about it a few hours before I talked to you guys. Uh, but See, the problem is that Adam just keeps refusing to listen to our advice not to get suckered into conspiracies. I'm like, <laughs> don't even know where that came from. Listen, Galax, I swear, sniffing chemtrails is not bad for you. Right. Um, that being said, uh, let's see. Our hiring process on MSP has uh, concluded. Um, we have a new cast member for that program. Uh, her name is Sobi. Uh, she was actually here a bit ago. She joined the call. And... I guess she went to do something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, anyway, she's she's not going to be joining this show on any kind of regular basis unless plans change significantly. 
Yeah, uh, like- but she's on MSP, so come over there and listen to her. She seems pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, at the very at the very least, I guess get she needs to get acclimated to us. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it's also this show has a pretty fixed format, a pretty fixed topic, and you know, it's like, you know, it's something that could change. I don't know. It, Right now, it's just for MSP, um, or we could have a you know a different person join um, the cast down the line. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, it's like, you know, in terms of diversity, you know, I don't exactly know where to look um, for gamer girls. Like, I certainly fish around, but. Or even girls who are gamers who don't consider yeah. themselves gamer girls. Yeah, it's like I mean, I'm pretty sure I could find them on social media, but you know, people that we have a little bit more of a connection to to start with would be nice. Yeah, like plus, you know, uh, I'm like we, you know, plus, um, you know, th- this is a, this is something that Mac and like a week ago, a uh, week and a half, mm-hmm. something like that. So, like I said, I, you know, it's like we have no immediate plans for such a thing, but things could change. No. Um, let's see. I think that's about it for news this week. So, merrily, we shall roll along to the interview portion of the broadcast. And joining us this week for, I believe, his sixth time on the show. Uh, um, I definitely forget how many times it's been at this point. It's quite a few. I'm like, yeah, it's it's up there. Uh, I think I counted, and this is like number six. But yeah, um, it's our good friend John Pickett once uh, once more. It's always good to be back. Indeed. Right. So uh, this time around, we're talking about um, the Shadows of Pygmalion. Yes. Yes. Um, so, why don't you tell our audience what uh, this particular visual novel is? So, uh, in our press releases, we build this as a Yuri action title. Um, and that's, if you really want like two words to describe it, that's pretty, it's about as close as you're going to get. And action um, in the sense of visual novel with action, not in the sense of like an actual action game yeah it's not a platformer it's yeah it's more the story itself is focused on the the action and the excitement and the suspense that plays out as you read through it um the game was originally all ages there's no adult content in it to begin with um but it actually has it has a lot of influences from madoka there's so in terms of the the setup in the story, the idea behind the setting of the world is that in the background of normal modern society, there are these dolls and these organizations surrounding these dolls, which have been secretly influencing and manipulating civilization for eons. And so they're sort of the secret societies 
that are controlling the world and making humanity go the way they want for their own purposes, and most people can't see them at all. So for the most part, they, they're almost otherworldly because people don't realize them. Uh, when they die, their entire existence is forgotten by humanity. And of course, the, the exception to this is the main character of Pygmalion, the uh, character Mina. She is actually able to see these dolls uh, as they're walking around the world and influencing with the world. And that is part of what leads them to seek her out and recruit her uh, after she ends up getting mixed up in a couple of the battles between them. Because, of course, the different organizations have their own slightly different ideas as for what they want, and they are engaged in battle with each other over the conflict of how they want to shape the world. And so it's once they recruit her is when she she joins the organization and ends up involved in this basically battle for the fate of the world to try and decide who will have the say, who will have control. And as it progresses, you learn a lot of different things about it, uh, like what it actually means to make a contract with one of these dolls and join their organization. Uh, what some of the, what some of their actual goals and intents are. Um, you learn more about the, the dolls society itself and who the actual players are and what they're actually trying to do. And a lot of times, depending on your choices, it won't end well. <laughs> are our, these dolls are human seeming the battle dolls are effectively human seen and that is actually uh what mina herself is sort of considered uh after joining them they are the battle dolls are for the most for most intents and purposes human but they have but they're given superpowers special powers uh, supernatural abilities to help them fight each other. Um, and then, of course, there's sort of a trade-off for being granted that power. Mm-hmm. Although, like, some of the doll descriptions do depict them as less than, you know, passing than for human. Yes. It's a little bit of a spoiler, but ultimately it is very possible for some of the dolls to become nothing more than lifeless dolls. That, and that's sort of one of, and that's actually sort of one of the bad ends you want to avoid as you're going through the game and the story. Right. And so this game is called the shadows of Pygmalion and I can already see why, why was um, called that. But I'm wondering, um, is that um, is there any actual connection to like uh, the Greek myth here, or is it just because of the dolls? There's there's a lot of allusions to the the Greek myth, and a lot of the terminology uh, that's used for the dolls and the interactions and some of the different positions and stuff 
comes from the Greek legends. So there's there's a layer of basis to it, but it's not like Pygmalion himself is in the story. For those of us who are less familiar with Greek mythology in the audience, uh, the myth of Pygmalion is the myth of a sculptor named Pygmalion who carves a stat a sculpture of a perfect woman and then basically wishes for her to be made alive so that he can marry her and stuff. I don't remember all of the details, but that's the setup. Yeah, that's yeah. what's usually most important about the myth. Yeah, and I've definitely seen some of the illusions. I'm not sure how, um, where I am exactly in the game. Like, I've played about <laughs> As I understand it, this is a full release title. Uh, yes, it's Pygmalion is a full length title, and what we at Manga Gamer generally mean when we say that is it's about eight hundred thousand Japanese characters, which comes out to around four hundred thousand English words. Mm -hmm. And um, what sort of production values are we talking here? Are there like um, animated sequences and full songs and all that stuff? Uh, to my knowledge, I don't remember any overly animated sequences outside of the opening movie itself. Um, the action scenes tend to be a lot more uh, focused with the, the sprites, the mm -hmm. CGs displayed, and um, special effects that are called by the engine, called by the script to flash and do their thing on the screen. Makes sense. I mean, I, it's like, I said, I don't like. I don't know if like there's an what they call like an opening uh, uh, opening CG thing, which sometimes has occurred in like the middle of a visual novel I've played. <laughs> yeah, the opening movie. Uh, it's usually usually the opening movie in most visual novels is placed sort of after the prologue and right before you get into the chunk of it. And um, what drew Manga Gamer to this particular title? So we've we worked with Propeller before and Propeller is actually really well known for doing a lot of uh, well-written action titles. Uh, we have Tokyo Babel is another one uh, by the same company that we are currently selling on Steam. And you can actually uh, buy it in a bundle with Pygmalion. And so that was sort of what we were looking at here is we wanted uh, something to that would appeal to the audience and to readers that like reading the action stories and the stories that have sort of that more dramatic suspense and tension. And there's sort of a, a dark feel to it. Um, a lot of times, there, there's a term that's thrown around in Japanese uh, culture, chuni or chunibyo, which uh, refers to those, which refers to a lot of this sort of genre of games where it's focused on like secret societies or things that are in those sort of special powers and that are not part of regular society, but exist in regular society. And it sort of plays up to that idea of there's this special group or these special people 
within otherwise normal world that have these responsibilities and these abilities to influence and do things on sort of a major dramatic scale. And that's sort of all part of the Chunin genre. And propellers uh, very well at doing a lot of those and a lot of these games. And we wanted to bring, we wanted to add some to our catalog because we didn't have a whole lot of them at the time when we first licensed Pygmalion. Hmm. I've heard the name Chunibu, uh, Chunibu, uh, or however you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, it literally translates to like eighth grader syndrome. Moritis. Yeah. Yeah. But in the, when I hear, when I've heard of that, that's mainly that um, anime, um, Chunibu and, and you or what? Yeah, I Chunibu demo koigashitai. Yeah, I think that was yeah. what popularized the term. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 all about I think a uh, sort of malaise people feel when they are starting to get to the point where they're less kids and are finding that nothing interesting is going on, and kind of wishing it would. Yeah. But I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, the original term itself... It, it, it draws from Chunibyor, 8th grader system, because it does refer to that sort of period that everyone tends to go through when they're around in middle school and adjusting to adulthood from childhood and that idea of, like, you you want to be someone special, you want to be awesome and amazing and cool and really nothing actually is that way and it's that sort of rejection of you know i don't want to just be normal fuddy-dud you know i want to be cool i want to be awesome i want to be special i don't you know i want to be something better than i am or something different from the average stand out that kind of it's all those sort of emotions rolled into one that usually and it a lot of times it generates and yeah, people just sort of like wanting to be a character from a story or a novel or pretending to be that character. And so it's most people usually grow out of it. Of course. Some don't. <laughs> but most do. And so it sort of plays to that and it's plays up to a lot of those emotions, like you said, yeah, like rejecting the norm and being part of this something else that is special or unique. Mm. Right. And um, in regards to Propeller's other visual novels, were they Yuri titles as well, or, or was this their first? Uh, Tokyo Babel was um, heterosexual, straight. There were straight pairings in Tokyo Babel. Um, Pygmalion is Yuri. They they've sort of gone back and forth on that. Yeah, good to know. Good to know. So they've they got a mixture going on there. Yeah. All right. And okay, while it's all, you know it's an all ages title, um, is there still anything in the game that you had to work around in order to get on to the Steam service? Uh no, not really. There's it's. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't rate it E for everyone. It's probably more teen, but because there are a couple fan service scenes and fan service shots uh, between the ladies involved, but nothing that really pushes the envelope. Unlike Kindred Spirits or Gakum. Yeah, there's no problem with 
selling Tevertine stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's good to know. Uh, let's see. Uh, so uh, who who translated uh, this particular title? Uh, this was from, we had originally planned one of our senior translators to be on it, but we ended up having, uh, one of our newer translators, uh, take care of it. And he hasn't really been in the public very much, so I don't know if I should say his name or not. I forgot to ask before the interview. Um, I guess it's probably best if you don't, if you don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, But he's done a lot of good work for us, and he's... um... Oh, I'm trying to remember real quick. He... is also working on... What else is he working on for us? Uh, Give me a minute, and I'll come back to it. Uh, All right. Right. Um, while he's doing that, Twilight, what did you? What have you? Uh, what are your thoughts on um, the game so far? Um, well, initially, it was a pretty good step for a horror type vision novel, mm. but yeah, psychological horror. But from there, um, it's been it's been all right so far. Definitely has this. Um, sense of uh, how to put it uh huh uh, <laughs> I kind of lost my train of thought there <laughs> yeah, I thought you, I thought you uh, got disconnected yeah um, uh, uh, anyway uh, I'll see if um, John has picked, picked up his train yeah. um so, as you were saying? Yeah. Um, he's wor- he's currently working on one of our uh, other titles that we're actually planning to announce later this summer. So, unfortunately, I can't say too much about the work he's done with us so far. Hmm. Okay. And, yeah, Twilight does illuminate a, a good point about uh, Shadows of Pygmalion. Even though it's an action title, it definitely flips um, genres at points. Uh, like, you know, there are, like, scenes that are painted more as uh, horror than anything else, and you know, sometimes it's a psychological thriller, and sometimes it's a light-hearted uh, high school um, <laughs> thing, and, and yeah. certainly at a few points, uh, it's felt like a dating sim. We, we've we actually received uh, a lot of those same sort of descriptions and comments about Tokyo Babel as well. So I think that I think that has to do more with the, the style and the approach that the company is taking to the games and the genre. It's definitely taking its time um, building everything up. Like, mm-hmm. mind you, there have been action sequences and uh, sudden action sequences on interested to see how the very beginning ties into the rest because um, it's really disconnected from everything that happens afterwards at present time. Mm-hmm. It, you know, I, I suppose I can talk about like the opening, the very opening of the yeah, game. Yeah, might as well. Yeah, 
the, yeah, the very op uh, the very beginning of this opens with um, a fighter jet crashing, and you know, it seems like you're, you know the protagonist is involved somehow. Maybe I, I don't know. then it switches over to, and this is something that happens in New York City, and then it switches over to Japan, and it's kind of jarring. <laughs> Hell, there's even a, an element of the thing from another world in this game. As it is stated that the dolls can be anyone, and yeah. they can integrate themselves into your memories. Yes. That's, oh. yeah. <laughs> sort of the rank and file puppets in the dolls organization that's sort of their role in the whole civilization manipulation game is to blend into society and be sort of the executors of what the organizations want done right and um now um how is this game for interactivity do you make a lot of choices here are there any choices uh, there are a lot of different choices, because um, of course one of the one of the big things as you play through the game is is whether or not you actually want to keep fighting, uh, even though you after you've already sort of been dragged into this battle between the different dolls, and there's there's various reasons that you'll you'll come up to and get to as for why you may or may not want to. And that sort of affects how the game ends. But I think for the most part, it's fairly linear. Duly noted, duly noted. I mean, I, I've done some research and uh, I've noted, that, yeah, this is something that will eventually split into branching paths mm -hmm. uh, at some point. And there are different routes based off of um, certain cho uh, certain choices. Yeah, that's pretty standard for visual novels. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And though uh, I should also note, this is more of a story-based game. There is no um, like, there's no like romance op options in terms of you've got to you know spend time, talk to the girls, kind of deal. Yeah, it's not a dating sim. Um, and, uh, how long ago did this come out? Uh, Pygmalion, if I remember correctly, was our February release. Hmm. Yeah, sounds about right. So, it's yes. been out for a couple months now. Yeah. Um, has, has it been doing well? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's a, I would say it's been doing very fairly well for us. Uh, about what we expected to see from it, so. Hmm. And um, does Propeller have any other visual novels out there that you're um, maybe potentially interested in? I honestly don't know much about the, uh, their output. Uh, they, they definitely have a lot of very good visual novels. Uh, one, in one of the particular that they published several years ago is actually one of my favorite visual novels. But I don't know if we'll be looking at that one in particular uh, anytime soon. But they do have a lot of different titles that are uh, very good and 
I think we'll do well over here in the States. So we'll probably be looking at more from them in the future. All right. So shifting over to um, other titles, uh, I see. Um, How is uh, the Higurashi franchise coming along? Higurashi is doing very well for us. We actually just released the fifth chapter, which is the first chapter of the answer arcs on Steam last Friday. So people can check that out now if they'd like. Uh, we also have a bundle for all the Higurashi chapters together on Steam. And that's doing very well for us. Uh, I can say the localization for chapters 6 and 7 are complete. Uh, so those are both in programming. And I'm currently finishing up uh, some of the last-minute translation checking on chapter 8. So we're still on track to sort of have all those done by the end of the year, I would think. Good to hear. Uh, good to hear. And I'm guessing that um, Higurashi has become your working on Higurashi is um, what you've been doing post uh, Decapo. Uh, I've been I've been doing the translation checking for Higurashi, and I've also been working on a title uh, called Maggot Baits which is a very adult title, to put it uh, mildly. <laughs> I'm... I think I know where this is going, but I don't let... I don't want to know where it's going. I will just say that Maggot Bates is probably more extreme in its content than Euphoria. And I, like I said, I, I, I think I know where the... Where the maggots are going, let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, the maggots themselves are actually just tentacle monsters. They're not actual, like, bugs. Oh, God. <laughs> because that makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah. Okay. No. No, no, no. There's, there's no bugs in that game. <laughs> okay. That's surprisingly I, I... one of the few things it's not in that game. <laughs> Oh, oh boy! <laughs> like, I, I think it's safe to assume that this one's not coming to Steam. Maggot Bates is most certainly never coming to Steam. <laughs> uh, the, it is, yeah. It it actually has a very good story. There's actually an extremely good storyline in it that has to do like there's just some of the things the story involves are like love, revenge. Black Sabbath rituals, blasphemy to God, inquisitors smiting heathens, and of course, so, lots and lots and lots of tentacle monsters. Oh, so it's kind of <laughs> yeah, Outlast Two is fine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone's having sex in those games, though. That's kind of the difference here. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot of genitals and exposed chest. Give it time. <laughs> give it time. <laughs> I, I'm like, well, how do I put this? I, I just take that up with Steam, I guess. Like, <laughs> but yeah, well, um, yeah. So, what are some of your other recently released titles that haven't come to Steam? So, uh, are some of our other recent titles? Uh, we had. In March, we saw the release of Kuroino, the first chapter of Kuroino, which is a 
a great it's a great title for fans uh more of hardcore sex uh the basic plot of crew you know is you play as volt who is undeniably a villain who has basically turned on the people that hired his mercenary band and conquered the different queen kingdoms and is now also conquering their people oh dear how conan yes so if you if you like that idea of like playing from the playing from the perspective of the unabashed villain who is having his fun breaking the different people that he's turned on it's a very fun game um and like i said in addition to that we've had higurashi released on steam in april uh this may uh actually here on the 19th we are looking at releasing uh sweet young bride which is a it's a short nuki gay based on the idea of that the sort of premise behind sweet young bride is that to to counter the declining population Japan has instituted a policy where people can sort of submit their applications to get a spouse assigned to them by the government and start family. And that's sort of the premise is the guy applies for one, gets his bride, and it's just sort of your nice, happy, sweet life with this fellow Japanese citizen. <laughs> um and then after after that's released, we actually have plans to release a title that hasn't been announced yet, but is going to be more along the lines of an adult gameplay title. So for people that like uh, adult content and gaming combined, that'll be a good uh, one that we'll be able to present later this month. And then probably sometime this summer, we're hoping to release uh, our title Bochi Musume or Fashioning Little Miss Lonesome. And that's our next uh, Otome game, but that will be on both our website and Steam. So, and that does have adult content available in it as well. All right, and um, now I'd like to go over your uh, convention schedule for the year. Yes, because um, that you know uh, that time has come, or I suppose it's actually been going on. Um, yeah, we had our first conventions at Anime Boston last month, as well as SoccerCon last month. Uh, Anime Boston was up in Maine. SoccerCon was out in Seattle, Washington. Uh, up next for us, we have Anime Central out in the Midwest, which is going to be on May nineteenth. Um, and then later we have Anime Expo at the beginning of July, followed by Otakon, uh, towards the end of, or towards the middle of August. And we're, we, I think we have a, might have one or two after that. I know we're looking at the possibility of the upcoming anime convention to be hosted in New York. So we might be participating in that. But the other ones are sort of, the applications are in the mix, so. 
Gotcha. And um, is there anything that you can talk about in regard in regarding those upcoming appearances? Uh, I will say we have a lot of very interesting announcements planned for Anime Expo. We are going to have, uh, as guests with us to Anime Expo, we are going to have Yamakaze Ran, the artist for Princess Evangile, which is which I know is a hugely popular game on Steam. Um, and we will also be having with us uh, Itaru Inoue, who for many years was the artist for visual arts. She did the artwork for Kanan, Air, uh, many of the artwork for Clanad, so she worked a lot with Key for a very long time. That That's pretty up there. Like, yes. We're very excited to have both of them. <laughs> oh, I mean, the key, the key visual novel trilogy. Now, uh, I don't. It's like I I don't know how big of an influence they have had, but I know that they were a big deal some time ago. Yes, Kanan and Air are where a lot of sort of the current generation of people like me who are working on visual novels got their start in the genre. Right. So it's still sort of iconic for many of the people that work in the industry. Yeah. I'll be honest, I was never able to get into the key stuff. Uh, it's like just not my particular taste. And that and that's fair, because there was there were a lot of people like that too, because they do tend more towards the this they tend more towards those kind of stories that will pull your heartstrings relentlessly. <laughs> Yes, I've heard of like um, their clan ad adaptation um, often gets cited as one of the best romantic anime of all time. Um, mm -hmm. Though uh, that is with um, After Story, which I'm not sure was a visual no novel before, or visual novel before it um, became a uh, television what? series. Well, 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 no, Planet, yeah, Planet After Story was basically the canon final route for Clanad the game. Right. And I've definitely heard the, the tug at your heartstring things in um, regards to Key's, uh, Key's visual novels. Mm -hmm. Now, um, are you going to be personally attending... A any of these conventions, or is that going to be other people? Yes, I will be. I will be at Anime Expo. I will be at Otakon, and if we do end up doing uh, Anime NYC, I'll probably be there as well. Hmm. So you're doing Anime Expo? Yes. Neat. I'm, like, I'm not sure if Max. I don't think Max is doing Anime. Is he doing Anime Expo this year? I. I, know, I don't ask. think he's said. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, sometimes he does it. Uh, I'm not sure if he has like the capital to do it this year, or uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's something we'll ask on MSB. Um, right. So, does anyone here have any final questions for John uh, for this appearance? I do not. I'm looking forward to trying out the game, although I probably won't be have too too much time. So. I have no illusions about finishing it, unfortunately. <laughs> it happens. 
Well, anyway, um, John, as always, I I thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule for being here. And um, I want to know if you want to come back onto the show on June 26th. Uh, yes, I think that will, I think you'll manage to catch me right before I need to start thinking about traveling. So that'll work. Okay. All right. So um, we'll catch up with you in a couple months. And yeah. Uh, as always, I'll look for, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, too. It's always great to be here and talk about the games. <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. All right, uh, Betty Payne, play us to the next segment. All right, so welcome to this week's topic of discussion. Um... This week we are going to be talking about, well, the thing that we were going to talk about last week until Night Trap announced that they were doing a remake. But that sort of ties into what we're talking about here. We are talking about the world's first true 32-bit um, system. Also, I believe the world's first standalone um, CD system. See, before, I'm talking about the 3DO Interactive Multiplayer. Uh, you know, th that's its full name. But everyone just knows it as the 3DO. Because like, 3DO is the name of the company that was behind it, isn't it? Yes, yes. I'm trying to remember where the actual name 3DO comes from. Like, but I'm kind of blanking. Like, you know, wasn't, like, it like, wasn't it like audio video 3DO or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I think that was in their advertisements. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, I guess it's not that odd to call it the 3DO. Uh, I mean, a lot of people call the NES just the Nintendo. Right, but the, here's the thing. The 3DO part wasn't um, an acronym for something. You know, the NES is short for the Nintendo Entertainment System. As I said, the full name was the 3DO Interactive Multiplayer, which kind of reveals when this thing came out. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, because... This came. This was released in 1993, and um, as we talked about last week, this is the this is the era of FMV. This is the era of the optical media being the hot new technology. Uh, you know, this is you know, and this is the era where multimedia was an uh, was a very big buzzword. You know, and the 3DO. Um, try to poise itself to take advantage of that. Not as much as, say, the um, the CDI. Like, when I think of failed systems that really rode that uh, multimedia thing uh, to the ground, it's the CDI. Yeah, the uh -huh. CDI tried hard, and it failed catastrophically. Actually, it was the other way around, because you know, they were more interested in, like, the movies and the you know, the convergence, rather, like, the games were just a side bet, a thing mm. they were doing at first. Um, and then the games pro proved to be the most popular component, yes, even of the CDI, and that's when they tried to go more in that direction, but this isn't about the CDI. You know. The, mm. you know, the 3DO was touted as the true next-gen experience, and in many ways it was. Um, um, if you've missed our previous uh, discussions on this particular point in time, 
Um, prior to the 3DO, um, yes, CD-ROM technology was a thing, um, but it was always done as a uh, peripheral or a dual system. You know, you, you had the... Yeah, uh, like the Sega CD, where it was this big old thing. You plugged your Sega thing into it, and then you had to put in a cartridge to make it read it off the CD right. Yeah. Or the TurboGrafx CD, um, which later became the Turbo Duo. You know, they, they integrated the CD into the actual machine with the Turbo Duo, but it was still um, a du dual system. This was the first system that was conceived out the gate to be a CD-ROM device. Mm -hmm. yeah. With all the good things and bad things that that implies, good things largely involving, hey, you can have CD quality sound, and hey, your data storage is way bigger, and yeah. the bad things including load times and things like that, and trouble with accessing data quickly. And by now, the belt that drives a CD drive is rotted. That too. A lot more moving a... parts. Yeah. Well, um... I'm trying to remember what speed the 3DO was. What year was because, it? 1993, because uh, this is also the, uh, you know, because we're in the, pri uh, not quite the Primordia, but we're still in the era of, I think, single-speed CD-ROM drives. Yeah. And they were... I think we're just moving past that, but I know it wouldn't be more than a 5X drive in it. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of the 3DO... I think it might have had a double, like, uh, double speed. That was kind of the important thing. For, like, even at this point, the difference was pronounced. Like, the play, like the Neo Geo CD released at the single-speed CD-ROM in the mid-'90s, and it was, you know, just chugged along, literally. Like Yes, it is a double-speed drive. <laughs> yeah, th that's what I thought. Probably, like, it's probably the first one of those, too. Now, and like I said, this actually matters a lot, because having a double-speed drive meant, well, literally double the speed. Mm -hmm. And, like, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I, 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 this was kind of an important thing, um, because CD-ROM load times were fucking bad. Mm -hmm. I mean... You want to, like, like, optical media has always had that load time thing going on there, but it, it's never been as bad as the initial switch over from cartridges to CDs. Well, it's especially, it's especially noticeable with a cart because the, in contrast with the cartridge where you don't have loading times because the cartridge basically preloads the entire thing. That's not exactly true, because there were, like, Super NES games that actually had loading times. Looking at you, Batman, mm. forever. <laughs> but, I guess. Yeah. But in general, yeah, you weren't going to have loading times, and you certainly weren't going to have the loading times on a Sega CD. No. It's like, you know, like, in the modern era, if there are really bad load times, it's probably due to bad optimization or, mm -hmm. you know, poor programming, something that, uh, than the actual hardware. You know, it's like that stuff is kind of determined, you know, by all games. Right. Um, so to speak. But, so, um, getting into the conceptualization of the 3DO, um, this was 
cooked up by EA executive Trip Hawkins, who, um, you know, seeing the rousing success that Nintendo and, you know, soon after Sega were having with the, with their consoles, you know, he proposed an idea to, you know, have EA get in that game themselves. EA um, wasn't biting because, well, here's the thing. Making a console costs, a, you know, is a huge undertaking. Yeah, even back then. Uh-huh. And EA did not feel the need to um, transition into a hardware company. You know, um, wise they move did, on I, their part. Possibly, because um, one of the unique things about the 3DO um, was going to be its decentralized style. And what that means is um, the, th uh, the 3DO company like owned the patents... Uh, patents and uh, you know the you know design schematics and all that stuff but they didn't but, actually produce the consoles right their they, idea they licensed was, the designs to other companies to build the consoles right uh, their yeah their idea was to sell that to different companies and you know have it like you know, a tel you know, televisions and computers and you know, other electronic uh, electronics, mm -hmm. and that's why you know there are actually a few different versions of the 3DO. Um, there's the first one, probably the most iconic one, the, the you know the really big one that was done by Panasonic. Um, there's one by Sanyo that I think was only in Japan. Mm-hmm. There was an, I think there was a uh, cost-reduced version done by um, Panasonic later on, but the other one that really gets identifications is the Gold Star um, mm -hmm. 3DO. I'm trying to think if they had, like, different... Con I think the... Were the controllers standardized, or...? I think the controllers were standardized, because I think I remember advertising something about um, it, a 3DO controller is basically a 3DO controller or whatever. Right, uh it sounds about right. You know, it's like, like the button layouts would have been the same at least. Mm -hmm. And that was actually kind of a problem because uh, remember, this game came out, this system originally came out in 1993. And do you know what happened around that time? Fighting games. Oh, yeah. Fighting that's yeah, the like, bastard like, system like with the good. single controller port and they daisy chained, didn't it? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the 3DO consoles only had one controller port in the specs, but each controller had an additional controller port on it. There's a special ring in hell for whoever thought that was an okay idea. <laughs> and it's also the... 3DO was done, uh, the 3DO controller was done Genesis style. So it's got three buttons. I'm like, and much like the Genesis, it initially had problems handling fighting games. Yeah, it's about and to yes, there's a reason why Sega did a six button controller later on. I'm like, 
I'm trying to think if they, uh, I, I want to say that, that they released a six button controller version, like um, pretty much all the consoles at the time had to do that. Like there's even like I like the um, shifting to another failed console. The Atari Jaguar had a six button version for fighting games. Yeah, you know you you <laughs> you needed to have six buttons for your fighting games, and I do remember reading that the 3DO did have an interesting workaround. Um, I. Not sure if this was like an official thing, but I do know like a an adapter, uh, a Super NES to 3DO controller adapter thing exists. Huh. Yeah, Obviously because... not sanctioned by Nintendo. No, no, uh, no, uh, certainly not. But unlike say the um, Atari Jaguar, the 3DO actually had some fighters worth buying. At the time, because you know, remember, this is the world's um, first 32-bit system. So that means, um, even with its load times, it could get closer to arcade quality, um, better than any other console out there, um, and it could do it without any RAM expansions, like um, the. Uh, Little-known feature of, like, the TurboGrafx CD is it had some RAM expansions done to it so it could handle some of SNK's fighters, like Fatal Fury. No. Um, no such thing was ever released for the 3DO, although that could be because, you know, it didn't last long. Mm -hmm. you know, also, anyway, yeah, yeah, 3DO did get a six-button controller. Not surprised at all. Uh, it looks like it was kind of rare, but like I said, um, once fighting games became one of the dominant forms of gaming in the 90s, um, yeah, everyone just had to upgrade to a six-button controller of some kind, except Nintendo, because as it turns out, their, you know, their controller may not be optimal for fighters because of the shoulder button placements. I don't know. Your mileage may vary with that. That this is certainly an argument I've heard um, for a long time in terms of like the Genesis controller has the better placement versus the Super NES. Um, I don't know. I like shoulder buttons. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't know that seems to be a preference thing, but uh, but objectively speaking, three button controllers weren't um, handling it. And like I said, this is important because like. Um, the Samurai Showdown 3DO version is considered to be like maybe not like the definitive non Neo Geo version of the time. You know, and it's the only system that saw of the era that saw a release of Super Street Fighter 2 Turbo, um, which is like the last release of the classic line before we jump to the HD re releases, you know, some years later. And that was that was that was after the new challengers. Yes, um, yeah. For those who need help keeping track of what version this was in particular, this is the one that introduced Akuma. <laughs> ah, yeah. Mm. Like, never appeared on the um, 16-bit consoles. I don't know if that's because they couldn't handle Akuma or whatever, but I do know the 3DO got got it. 
Uh, and it might seem I'm spending an inordinate amount of time on the 3 you know, fighters, but, you know, they really are some of the best games on the system because, I, you know, it's like, I won't say the 3 EO didn't get any support because it certainly did. But the 3DO, in terms of in terms of life, um, lasted about three years, and you know, I'd say it had like a year in, maybe two in its time in the sun. By the t by 1995, with the Saturn and the PlayStation arriving, this thing was dead. Yeah, Sony and Sega just kind of came and. You know, broke its jaw. I mean, that's pretty much what happened to all, all of the um, lesser systems of this particular era. You know, they all got devoured by, by, well, really Sony, mm -hmm. um, considering how, how well they won that generation. But you know, even uh, Sega. Um, but. Anyway, getting back to what this console was, it you know, it was this decentralized thing. And that was a problem because the margins on consoles aren't great. In fact, they're pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Like it's like out of out of all the console manufacturers, Nintendo is the only one with like a significant reputation of selling its consoles at a profit most of the time. Most of the time, although didn't happen the Wii U or the 3DS. But like, I mean, well, the, the 3DS now is making a profit. Well, yeah. The, the, well, here's the thing: you that, will, it'll uh, it'll happen. Right, manufacturing gets more efficient as the system ages. Yeah. Unless you're like the um, well, unless you're like the Wii U or the Xbox. Or the Vita. Which, yeah. I I don't know where the Vita stands on that scale, but the point is um, consoles aren't where you make your money. Like, it, it, the, you know, the comparable model is literally the Razer and Razer Blade model. Yeah. I guess, know? I guess, well, well, I guess outsourcing the uh, quote-unquote outsourcing the console production they were trying to save on that money but the problem is that that doesn't give everybody else the incentive to build a lot of them or make those things ones that they build of competitive quality they try um, to make them as cheap as they can that's not the but um here's the thing you really couldn't do that with the 3do because the technology was so new mm. and here's the point i'm getting at um um, the manufacturers couldn't make money on software like Nintendo or Sega or Sony. Ah, right. Yes. And that leads me to the downfall of the 3DO, which happened, well, quite frankly, out the gate. And that occurred with three numbers. 700. This thing costs $700. <laughs> and that is in pre-modern dollars. Yeah, that is in 1993 dollars. Um, I don't know if someone wants to look that on a conversion calculator for inflation, but that's probably like 800 to 1,000 in today's money. The point is, this was a super expensive piece of media. And it had a decent library. Now, 
uh, like EA was a big supporter of the system. And this is where like um, uh, one of their big franchises, the Need for Speed, got um, born. And, you know, they, this is where like Madden and FIFA saw an uptick in production values because, you know, CDs and all that stuff. You know, you could have like real footage and so on and so forth. And Road Rash saw an upgrade. You know, um, EA was pretty good with the 3DO, all things considered. Interplay had a, a number of titles on it. This is where uh, Gex came from. And, um, probably the most notable, like, Gex was their de facto mascot character. Um, although he quickly split the scene um, when the Sega Saturn and the um, PlayStation came onto market. Um, see also Rayman. People don't know that Rayman was actually an Atari Jaguar game. <laughs> like, no, I did not know that. Yeah, it, it's like, uh, uh, and the reason that people don't um, know this is because, well, not too many people had a had a Jaguar. But I'm um, like Gex. Actually, Gex sold over a million copies on the on the system. It's like, there's a reason why the mascot platformer was king in the 90s. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they were the games that sold. You know, and, you know, going back to, like, our Voodoo Vince review, like, Microsoft's, you know, thought process in having a platformer wasn't, in, wasn't inaccurate. You know, it's just nobody really had realized that, you know, the times had changed and, you know, Master Chief fit them so much better. Anyway, but yeah, you know, um, this is where um, developer Crystal Dynamics got their start, doing a whole bunch of 3DO games, um, including Gex, I believe. Yep. Um, you know, they're now, you know, they're now the people who work on. Well, I'm not sure the. You know, they are the um, developer behind Tomb Raider these days. Now, mm, they've now know. been swallowed by um, Square Enix, yeah. though. And before that, they they were purchased uh, by IDOS in the late '90s. Um, but yeah, so there were some starts here. I mean, the 3DO company itself produced a number of software titles like um, Killing Time and Captain Quasar, a couple of underrated gems um, for the system, and uh, like Off World uh, Interceptor, I think called and. Um, Battlesphere, you know, like I said, uh, it, it had a decent library, but the problem was it didn't have a good enough, it, it didn't have a library that was going to make people buy a $700 system. It didn't, it didn't have the anything to sell that. $700, shit, $700 today is... Not a mass market price. It, no. Yeah. I mean, the, the 599 US dollars almost killed the PS3. Almost killed Sony. Like, mm -hmm. the, the PlayStation 3 was actually a pretty unmitigated disaster for Sony. Uh, there, as in, that was another console that never really achieved profitability and actually lost Sony a ton of money. Wow. Oh. So... But yeah, it's like, and you know, that's kind of, that's kind of the legacy, as it were, of the 3DO. You know, 
it's you know it's sadly kind of a footnote in the history of video gaming you know maybe not considered to be the outright joke that uh, the CDI or the Jaguar are but it's you know it's still something that's brought, you know if it's brought up into the you know in uh, today's context it's a cautionary tale you know warning against you know pricing your console too high believe me like you know when the when the PlayStation 3 pricing came out immediately people brought up the 3DO and how this didn't work and like, <clears throat> you know it worked better for Sony because they're Sony that um even like PlayStation 3 era Sony was much more well that was kind of the other thing you know none of the players here outside of a couple outside of like um some of the publishers were established players you know like the 3DO company was a new venture um you know all the hardware manufacturers never you know they had never to coin a phrase gotten in the game before well, video gaming industry, they've made other electronics. Right. You know, it, it, this is just not a model that um, proved to be viable. And you can tell that because nobody has ever tried it. You know, not on this scale. Like, I'm not including, like, cheap um, ROM consoles or the like. You know. Yeah, those don't cost 700 some odd dollars, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you know, it's like there was a uh, there was a successor planned called the M2. Um, it was supposed to be a a 64-bit console. Uh, although, if it was actually 64-bit, I have my doubts because, like, you know, here's the thing about the Nintendo 64: it's not actually a 64-bit system. It's a it's a coprocessor thing. Yeah, they they were doing funny math things. Uh-huh. Well, so so they weren't the only ones. What yeah, might be... I was about yeah. to say. It, I was about to say it was par for the course in that time. I mean, didn't Atari have a sixty-four bit thing out like ages before that that was like terrible, and also very not sixty-four bit? Yep. That's the Atari Jaguar. Okay, I can never remember which one is which. I never had an Atari anything. Yeah. But, uh, you know, this is also the... This is also when we were entering the time... You know, the 90s were the bit wars. Mm-hmm. And the 3DO definitely um, touted the 32-bitness of its um, system because, you know, more bits equals more power, better graphics, yada, yada, yada. You know, it's like... Maybe not as aggressive as, say, Atari or Nintendo, on that matter, but still it was there. You know. Like, you know, like, I remember one 3DO uh, commercial that played that um, through the Sega Genesis and the Super NES into a toy box. You know, basically insinuating, you know, hey, these are the children's toys. You know, this is something the adults play. Yeah, that's probably because they were the only ones who could afford it. Yeah, I was about to say, I wouldn't let my child anywhere near something that costs $700. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, uh, so, that is the, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
there was supposed to be a successor system called the M2, and it was purchased and by yeah, it was purchased by Panasonic, Matsushita, um, the, the parent company, um, for like a hundred million dollars. Um, 3DO then became uh, a software company um, that produced lots and lots of Army Men games before they died. Um, um, and as far as the M2 goes, uh, it was kicking around until about 1997 when um, the plug was suddenly pulled. Probably because they realized that um, releasing a a system nobody gave a shit about in 1997 wasn't going to make them any money. Well, and also reports where it was still drastically underpowered compared to the PS1 and Saturn. Ouch. That... Yeah. Mm. Like, and keep in mind, this is 1997. The um, 32-bit and 64-bit players have been well established. Mm -hmm. You know, hell, by this point, Sega's, uh, you know, the Sega Saturn is actually starting to crumble quite precipitously. Yep, but I'm pretty sure that's a topic for another time. <laughs> the fall of the Saturn is kind of interesting. Yeah, there's actually a lot going on there, but, boy. Um, but yeah, so, final thoughts on the 3-0. It had some interesting ideas, but in the end, horrible execution. I wasn't paying attention. What were we talking about? <laughs> Something about three dudes. Yeah. Hey, there's a PlayStation. Let's do that instead. <laughs> no, no, no. The, it was called the Three Doe. Three Doe. Uh, three Doe. Don't, don't, don't. Sorry, I mispronounced it. I think I still think that price warrants about five or more, but <laughs> anyway. Don't 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 don't. Thank you, Ogre. Um. Anyway, so that'll about do it for this installment of Fragments of Silicon. Uh, you know, hope you enjoyed the show. Be sure to tune in um, about a half an hour, forty minutes, um, for our for uh, Moonhawk Studios presents um, and our grand debut of our new. Um, correspondent, uh, co-host. There we go. Um, she, uh, yeah, she's actually our fourth co-host on that show. Mm -hmm. You know, the designations are a bit different since nobody here really has designations. I don't really care enough to, you know. You're you're the head guy in charge, and we're all people who are here. Yeah, and you're all like the council, except for Petty Fan, who's who's our technical director and yeah. stream operator and all that stuff. I technically flex an associate producer role when looking for guests, but other than that, eh, I'm just a dude. Yeah, right. Whatever. It, that's because, you know, management style here is much more council-based because we actually do production meetings. <laughs> mm -hmm. Anyway, um, enough behind-the-scenes uh, stuff. Um, Sobe will be joining us for MSP this week. Uh, Mac has a a few topics he wants to talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, politics is one of them. Ugh. When isn't it? That's a good question. Like, Indeed. Uh, anyway, the week ahead. 
So on Sunday, we have two reviews. Um, first up, uh, we are actually reviewing Shadows of Pygmalion. Um, been a while since we've done a visual novel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'll be honest. I'm not sure how much of this I'm going to get through because uh, in real terms, this is about a 15 to 30 hour visual novel. I know. Um, so if I started playing it now, I might be finished by the time that. The show well, understand. Well, understand that that to- that's like the total runtime because there are three branches and then there's a true final end. Gotcha. Right? So it's one of those. Like, I'll probably be able to finish a branch, but mm-hmm. you know, all of the branches. I'm not putting stock into that. Um, we're also reviewing a game called Swarm Universe, which I've played a little bit of. It's a curious shooter. If one, you know, it, it's like I'm still in the tutorial. Like, I've only played about 20 minutes because I haven't had t- time, but um, I hesitate to use the I'm trying to think how much of a twin stick shooter this is because, well, it's more. You're dealing with orbs. Uh, I suppose more on that on Sunday. Like, uh, and as far as next week goes, well, okay. First of all, we have two interviews happening next week. Yeah, so we have a Tuesday interview, guys. Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Ross Bierley of Ghost Lights um, is returning to the program because they've announced a couple games. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, for those who don't remember, they're the people who published uh, the Mugen Souls games and the Way of the Samurai games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, I think this is going to be their fourth time on the show. Yeah, We've got guests that have you know, been racking up the appearances. Um, and on May 10th, our Alpha episode, we'll be having Philip um, Daigle I believe that's how you pronounce it, a Beamdog software. Um, we're going to be talking about, well, Planescape Torment Enhanced Edition. Torment. <laughs> yeah, uh, and pro- pro- possibly the other um, uh, Enhanced Editions. Um, you know, we talked to their CEO, Trent Oster, about two years ago. Um, so this is one of the. This is another one of those um, multiple studio appearances, different people. Um, mm-hmm. no, it's like, and that. That's what's coming up there. All right, and I think that'll about do it. So until next time, I wish you good gaming.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.